You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. And if you're curious about doing an on-air coaching call yourself and sharing your story with my podcast audience... I currently offer those opportunities to patrons of the podcast. To find out more about becoming a patron, go to teachingyoga.net slash patron. That's P-A-T-R-O-N, patron. In fact, I'd love for you to go do that right now. Pause this, and when you come back, we'll jump into today's conversation. So you had three basic questions that you wanted to talk about. And I'm just going to go over them really quickly and you can tell me if I'm getting them right. And also if you have anything to add, any details to add. Great. The first one was about balancing a full-time job with having kids and teaching. Yes. The second one was whether you should continue being your own boss and renting space or try to become an employee somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the third was about working with folks who have chronic pain prior to having a IUIT certification. Right. So let's just go in order, unless you have something, one of those that you want to really make sure that we dive into most deeply, we could just start with the first one that you listed. That sounds great. Okay. You're a mom. How many kids do you have? I have two um, young boys, five and uh, three in just a couple weeks. Okay, awesome. And what's your full-time job? I'm the organizing director for a women's economic advocacy organization. So, so like nonprofit do, work? Yes, nonprofit work and political advocacy. Awesome. And it sounds like there's some reason that you eventually don't want to do that forever. So talk to me about that. Yeah. um, I think, well, I've been doing this work for a long time and I really love it, but I really see yoga as my future and my dharma. And so I'm trying to figure out how to balance a shift over time um, into, into doing that. And I really just... And I think ready for a career move um, after a little while. Yeah. And it's so tough because in order to make teaching yoga 
profitable, it really does require a lot out of you. So yeah. that stair step is a really challenging thing. So I'm glad that you reached out and I'll help in any way that I can. I just want to acknowledge first that that's a challenge to be able to stair step it. Yeah. Tell me about your current teaching schedule. Like how much time are you currently devoting to teaching yoga? So currently only one class a week. Um, and I'm looking at adding a second um, class as well. I also have a chronic illness and this winter has been really rough. Um, so I've been pretty hesitant to add on too much um, right now in this moment before um, the weather gets better and I can hopefully start to feel better too. Yeah. Yeah. With your current job, mm -hmm. is there any possibility for stair-stepping down with that job or is that going to be like a hard end once it ends? I think that they would be willing to work with me um, okay. at least to some extent. That's um, great. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the conversation about the IOIT certification actually does fit in here a little bit because right. you have the intention to, to do an IAYT training. And where would that fit in with your vision? So if this all works out exactly as I have <laughs> in mind, I would be looking at, um, hopefully, my goal would be to be able to transition fully to yoga in the fall of or winter of uh, 2022. And so I would want to try and get my certification before then, if possible. How long is that certification program? Actually, I'm not exactly sure because they are still building it out. She's been, my teacher's been offering the 300 level, um, but they're working on building out the 800. Um, okay. Right now. So those so, can be long. Okay. And yeah. Pricey. Over a year. Yes. Yeah. Like they can be two years. Okay. And, and quite pricey. Okay. So what is your financial situation as far as like a padding because it, you know, based on what you're currently looking at right now, you're talking about making a major investment in training and not having the same income to cover that, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, no, I do not have padding. Okay. <laughs> it's the long and the short of that. Um, the reason that I'm aiming for uh, fall or winter of 2022 is because that is when my youngest will be in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. um, so I will be uh, a, a daycare's uh, amount richer <laughs> at uh -huh. that point. Right. The cost of childcare is astronomical. So, so let me, uh, uh, what, what, where are you, by the way, where are you located? I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. When your kid goes to kindergarten, will you be paying for aftercare? Um, I guess that depends on how I'm able to set up my schedule. So right now, my um, young one who is in kindergarten, I'm not paying for aftercare because I'm, I work from my home. And so I'm able to bring him home and um, keep him busy with stuff while I finish out my work day. Okay. It's great that you can do this nonprofit work with your kid at home, but you mm -hmm. obviously you can't teach a yoga class. Right. And so there are other things that you can't do. So you're really looking at, I don't know what time your school day starts, but approximately 8.30 to 2. So here's my 
concern or question is being able to fit enough teaching and your schoolwork into that amount of time to not only pay for the program, mm -hmm. but to pay for the living expenses on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did my schoolwork for my 200 hour, like at night after work, which obviously takes time away from my kiddos, but I can do it there in the living room with them, mm -hmm. at least be present, <clears throat> not present, present, but physically present. Um, so I guess that's kind of what I was envisioning. Um, so I could use the day for teaching and marketing, whatever it is that I needed to do to actually keep the business, the administration side running. And the class that you teach right now, what time of day is that? Um, it's Saturday mornings. Okay. And uh, what do you do with your kids at that time? Um, my husband's home with them. Okay. Yeah. So I do have uh, a husband who's home and um, has a somewhat flexible schedule. He's able to shift if there's like a one-off need, um, but he's ready and willing to, to help with the kiddos too. So it sounds like you have some extra time that you could be teaching, which is weekends. Right. And I will tell you, that as a newer teacher, I would plan on working weekends, like, cause yeah. that's going to be your more, more lucrative time slots. Right. And when you're newer and you're wanting to really make a living, mm -hmm. I think it, and you have young kids, I think it makes a lot of sense to do the trade-off. It's not like the ideal situation if, you know, like if, <laughs> if we could all wave a magic wand, we would be like, yeah, I'm going to just work while my kids are in school and I'm going to spend time with them when they're not. But obviously like we have to deal with reality. So right. I would plan that weekends are going to be work for you. Okay. Um, because the time slots of during the week, during school hours, those are like the least lucrative time slots. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they're a great time to do your schooling and they're a great time to do um, your admin work, your planning work, your promoting work, all of that. So the main thing that where I think you're really ahead of a lot of yoga teachers is just kind of thinking ahead mm -hmm. and thinking of this as a job and a career and a business right from the get-go versus just jumping in and right. then like, you know, turning around and going, why aren't I making any money? <laughs> this is not working for me. So, right. I mean, I think you're in a great place. I would definitely in your shoes, be really, really careful of how I spent my time. I would be okay. really mindful of being having a good system for time management. The short answer to your question about balancing teaching jobs and kids is to have a good system and set really clear boundaries and then follow through the best you can with the system and the boundaries that you've set. That's kind of the only way <laughs> that it works. And, you know, set your priorities, be really clear on your priorities. Is 
is there a season where building the business up is going to take precedence over spending time, quality time with your kids or is spending quality time with your kids always going to be number one? Get clear on that before you start the program, for example, so that when you get to the, the moments of difficult decisions where you've already pre-made the decision, you've already decided, no, this is my top value and priority. And I'm not, this is what I'm not going to compromise versus like when you're in the moment of having to make the decisions, trying to figure out each time, which one's going to take precedence that's way more draining and that is less likely to work out well versus if you get super clear on values and then make those decisions based on values. So basically as many decisions as you can anticipate and pre-make ahead of time, that's gonna reduce the load on your prefrontal cortex and it will enable you to make better decisions and also reduce how exhausting it is just to be alive. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Very exhausting as it turns out. <laughs> well, especially as a parent. I mean, yes. this is just something that you can only think that you understand before you take it on. And then once you take it on, you're like, oh, oh. yeah, the 24 hour <laughs> mental and emotional load of keeping <laughs> another human alive and nurtured. Yeah. Nurtured. <laughs> is just beyond description. It is. It really is. And something's got to give, right? Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as having it all. <laughs> we all have the same 24 hours in our day. Yeah. Now, granted, some people can pay for certain things in their lives to get done, like people who have the money to pay a house cleaner or pay for a nanny or whatever, they buy a little bit more right. <laughs> hours in their day, especially the way the world is these days where there's so much input coming at us and there's so much pressure to produce and consume and we can't do it all. Like we can't consume it all. I think it was one of my coaching clients was like, I don't have enough hours in the day to consume all the podcasts I want to, I want to consume. Like, yeah. <laughs> Nobody That's does. Accurate. Right. And the longer we go, the more and more we get into this, this culture of content. We're like in a content culture, right? Yeah. And there's so much content out there right now, which is amazing. Right. But learning how to sift through it becomes a really key skill. It does. And I think we are in this culture that tells us that we can have it all if only we just try harder, mm. um, which is tough got to kind of fight against that. And that's something I'm like personally trying to reckon with um, just with having been sick is accepting my own limitations and figuring out how to work within them. Yeah. And I mean, I think that sometimes getting sick puts it in perspective where you're mm -hmm. like, literally, I can't do it yeah. all. I have to make choices. But the thing is that we're all in that boat. Like we right. all have limited capacity. And so sometimes getting sick helps you to see that more clearly. Also, I think there's the comparison game. It's like we look at other people and what other people are accomplishing. And we're just never comparing ourselves to the people who 
you know, can't hold down a job. That's um, true. R- right? You Selective know, comparison. We're always comparing ourselves to the people who appear more productive. Right. Who appear more productive. I think that's the key word. So that's my, that's kind of the, um, the bare bones of the balance equation. Okay. Figure out what your values are and so that you can pre-decide when you have to make tough choices that you mm-hmm. kind of have some guidelines to work with and then ha- like system, system, systems. Because even though we all have the same 24 hours in the day, we don't all use them the same way. And when you're putting yourself into a season of life where you're really, you are taking on more than is reasonable. In my opinion, like when you have kids, like that's what's reasonable is to just be a parent, right? Right. Um, Or just having a full-time job and like adulting, that's reasonable. (laughs) But starting a new business, being in school and having children, that's more than reasonable. So just knowing that ahead of time and and cutting yourself some slack in whatever way you're able to cut slack, I think is really, really important. Okay. That is helpful. Um, I also like uh, your thoughts about using that school time for the administrative work and um, using that school time for administrative work and other um, types of work. I didn't actually think about that. I figured I would be teaching during the day, um, but it makes a lot of sense why that's not the case. Yeah. And it may not be the same every single day of the week. For example, you might have one or two days, weekdays where you do reserve it for teaching, but you bunch those together. And so this is, this is something I go into in a lot of depth in uh, the, the module on time management, but you want to group like tasks with like. So on days where you teach, it's not very, effective to imagine that you're going to teach a class and then in between classes, do your books and then teach another class. And then in between work on some marketing things, our brains do not task switch well like that. What tends to happen is that if we have a break in between classes, we probably should use it for self-care because that's probably what we're going to do. We're going to feel, wow, I just gave a lot. I need to restore now. And we're not going to want to or be effective at doing other types of resource intensive tasks. Yep. That makes sense. So I like to block, like if there's something that I'm doing that's resource intensive, I'd like to group a lot of the same thing together Mm -hmm. that I can do it and just kind of get through it, plow through it. And then self-care and little bits of self-care too. Like today you're my third on air coaching call in a row and I have depending on how long the call goes, I have like 15 to 30 minutes in between the calls, but I'm not trying to be productive in between those calls. Right. I'm drinking some water. I'm moving around a little bit. I'm putting my legs up the wall. I'm not expecting much else. <laughs> right. Which is good. And that's how you are able to sustain that level. Yeah, exactly. That is definitely something I'm um, trying to work on. Let's move into the question of renting versus being an employee. Great. Part of me wants to say, this is really simple. Just 
don't be an employee, if the classes are working, if you're being successful as an independent contractor renting space, do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm imagining that there must be more behind that question if you were to ask, since you're asking it. So tell me what your thought processes are around what would be the benefits of being an employee somewhere. Sure. So I think the benefits of being an employee somewhere are one, exposure. Established studios are going to have a lot more marketing reach and established clientele base that I don't currently have access to. Um, so if I were to offer like a workshop series or a regular class somewhere, I would start to potentially build um, more exposure in the community that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the other benefit that I see is that uh, it would just take potentially less, and you can tell me if this is accurate assessment, I wouldn't have to spend as much time marketing myself um, and running like the business aspects uh, if I can just like show up to a studio, teach a class and go home. Yeah, both of those are very valid. When we're talking about the marketing reach, that's going to vary studio by studio and place by place. So there's some Mm -hmm. studios that struggle to bring people in And they, especially if they're not a match for the people that you want to bring in, they're going to be so busy just marketing the studio in general. They may not have the time or the inclination to market your things. Right. So it will vary. If you get a job at a thriving studio where attendance is not a problem and all their classes are well attended, then yes, I totally agree that in that case, it could reduce the burden on you. Okay. Now, the on the flip side of that is with your intention to switch into full-time teaching in a sane way where you're empowered and, and the business owner, mm-hmm. a studio that is thriving is very rarely going to be able to really support you in doing that, meaning that a lot of the studios that are thriving, which they're not that many of them, but the ones that are, they tend to do so by having policies in place that benefit the studio and that make the studio thrive versus mutually beneficial policies that really help everybody thrive. That's super hard to do make a studio Mm -hmm. profitable and for example you know those students teaching that you show up and you teach those classes and they're full but you have no access to emailing those students right to let them know about the other things you're doing like they will have very strict policies about no promoting don't tell them you have an email list etc etc okay that makes sense Here's the way that I would think about it is the stage you're at now, because you are newer to teaching and you have a full-time job, if you could find a studio where it just felt good for you to walk in and teach and not have to do anything, and then you could be completely unattached to the future of where that class goes, but but that the class itself feels fulfilling to you, then Mm -hmm. I would go for that. But I wouldn't create a relationship with the studio, assuming that when you're ready to switch and go full time, that you're going to be able to take those students with you. Right. I would assume that those students belong with the studio. If one or two of them got obsessed with you and decided to like hunt you down, 
that's, (laughs) that's on them, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. I wouldn't bank on that. I would like, if you work for a studio, then, um, just in your head think, well, those students belong at that studio. Cause generally that's how the students feel too. Like that's my studio versus that's my teacher. You have a membership there. Yeah. With that, don't put up with anything that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. You have a full-time job. You have children. Do not teach at a studio where you feel like they're asking you to do things that are unreasonable for the amount they're paying you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, paying you $25 a class and expecting you to show up 30 minutes before and clean up 30 minutes after. Don't accept anything like that. Make sure it's a studio that treats you well and that you feel fantastic when you leave where you're just like, I love that. That was so fun. Then yes. Fulfilling studio. Yeah. So you can think of it as teaching practice and just continuing to hone your skills and being in an environment that feeds you. Okay. But don't work for a studio if you feel unsure about the ethics of of the management or you're not sure if the student base is a good fit for you. I like I I wouldn't put up with any of that because there's nothing at the end of the tunnel. What you what you get is what you get. Make sure what you're getting is what you is fair and feels good. Okay, that's super helpful. Thank you. And if you don't find that kind of situation, then keep renting, and recognize that when you're renting and you own your email list and you are doing the marketing, you're building a long-term relationship with those students that you can then build upon when you decide to go full-time. Right. Okay. That's really helpful. Um, and I, I think I'm in a uniquely good position for making this work this way as an independent contractor, because I'm teaching curvy yoga in a town that does not have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is uh, needed. It's a, it's a niche, niche that's been unfulfilled. Yeah. Um, For a while. And you can really grow that by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So I need to figure out how to get the folks who have been coming to share with their friends. You can definitely offer some incentives, like bring a friend and get a free class. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's been pretty well attended so far. Um, So I feel really blessed and excited uh, it just feels so amazing to be able to offer this to people. I always leave feeling better than when I walked in, which is the goal, right? <laughs> One of the goals anyway. And, you know, as somebody in what we would call a blue ocean niche, I would be hesitant to bring that to a yoga studio if you know that later on you want to expand it because mm-hmm. what's going to happen is if you start a curvy yoga class at a studio and it's well attended and then you leave the studio owner is going to get somebody else to to teach that class they're going to say go get trained in curvy yoga we need to offer it ah yes so that's the thing about like you know creating a business on somebody else's real estate uh-huh if you are all like if you're currently the only game in town there's nothing wrong with competition everybody's allowed to offer whatever kind of yoga they want to offer right there you don't have a monopoly on curvy yoga sure but if you know that currently you do i'm not sure that i would put that into people's faces <laughs> like okay. i would be a little bit at, not private about it but just 
aware that everybody in the yoga industry is not struggling, but everybody's looking for ways to make a profit. The reason I say this, and I hate that I have to say this because in, in an ideal world, everybody in the yoga industry would be rooting for the success of everybody else. Right. But people behave on quite a wide spectrum between really unethical all the way to overly concerned with ethics to the point where they shoot themselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's a big spectrum and usually we're somewhere in the middle of the spectrum and we usually think we're over here towards really ethical, but we're usually a little bit further over here because of cognitive dissonance. Uh, interesting. Okay. I want everybody to be successful, but I know everybody's not going to be successful. There's going to be people who thrive and people who struggle and seasons of thriving and seasons of struggling. I've just seen a lot of situations of yoga teachers and people in the yoga industry not treating each other with as much respect as I would wish. I hope that's helpful. It is helpful. Yes. Thank you. Your final question was about working with people with chronic pain before the IOIT certification. Okay. Yeah. And that's with the caveat that I personally have a chronic pain condition. So I have some personal experience with it, but obviously I would never want to go outside of my scope. Well, here's the thing. The truth is that there is not a clear scope for yoga teachers. Right. Right. Yoga Alliance has their scope. So if you use Yoga Alliance to advertise your work, um, you want to make sure you're clear on their scope and, and abiding by it. IEYT okay. has their scope. So if you are using their certification, you want to be clear on what their scope is. But broader, there's no laws. Yoga is an unregulated industry. You know, we, we, here we get into the kind of the quandary between ethics and laws. Mm -hmm. ethics, it's a personal exploration. You got to figure this out for yourself. What do you feel good about saying? Right. Legally, you know, there's, there's the law about practicing medicine without a license. So, so that's kind of the legal place that people could get into trouble. So if you were claiming to cure mm. chronic pain, you know, but mm -hmm. I think this is pretty well known these days. Like, okay, don't promise to cure anything. Like even doctors don't promise to cure chronic pain, right? <laughs> no, they don't. How dumb would that be? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's no law. There's no law around who can use what words with, um, with teaching yoga. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Yoga Alliance a few years back they hired some lawyers and those lawyers got a bit freaked out by the terminology that people were using when practicing therapeutic yoga. And so the Yoga Alliance came out with a very strong stance against anything that sounds like medical terminology. Okay. But here's the thing. The reason that the Yoga Alliance is nervous about that is because they are now a big multi-million dollar organization. So mm -hmm. they have assets that people could come after. They are a big fish. Mm -hmm. So if it appeared that Yoga Alliance was endorsing the use of medical terminology 
and some lawyer got it, you know, or some, some professional organization or some lawyer decided to sue them, it would be a big pain in the butt for them. As individual right. teachers, that's probably not going to happen. We want to be careful. I mean, I'm, I think it's good that this is being talked about more because there was definitely a Wild West time period in the yoga industry where people were making wildly unethical claims. And some people actually still do, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> but it's being talked about and people are concerned about it. So mm-hmm. let me put it this way. If you are concerned about this, you're doing the work. Okay. And, and that work is yours to do, to figure out like, where is the line? What can I promise? What can I talk about? But legally you can, you don't have to have a certification to teach yoga. You don't have to get an AYT certification to teach therapeutic yoga. There's Mm -hmm. no yoga boards, right? There's no board of yoga therapists in Oregon who are going to, and, and even here's the crazy thing that most people don't even realize, like, okay, say the massage using massage as an analogy or Mm -hmm. as an example, when people practice massage without a license, the massage board doesn't go after them because they're not members of their board. Oh, okay. So the massage board regulates members who are behaving unethically, but when people practice massage without a license, law enforcement is only going to go after them if they're also committing another crime. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the police knocking on someone's door? Hey, you're, you're massaging people. No. Now if they are sexually abusing people, if they are um, harming people, if they are, you know, like, yeah, any of that. Yes, absolutely. But it's actually a, a pretty big problem. Well, I don't know. It's probably it's one, probably one of those problems that we worry about more than actually happens, but it does happen. People practice massage without a license because mm-hmm. there isn't actually any mechanism, even though there's a massage board, there's no mechanism for fining or arresting people just for practicing massage without a license. Isn't that crazy? Interesting. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, and I know that there's a lot of discussion in the community about why we wouldn't, um, join up with a credentialing body. Lots of strong opinions on that on both, on both sides. The long and short of it is you do not need a special credential to work with folks with chronic pain. As long as you are honest about your credentials. Okay. I have chronic pain. I'm going to share with you what has worked for me. Right. I will be a partner in this and we will work together to see if we can find some things that help you as well. Yep. Okay. That's really helpful. And that all makes a lot of sense. So the IAYT, you know, that certification should number one be for the information. Mm -hmm. And then number two, there are certain people who really feel more confident when they have more letters behind their name or whatever. And that's fine (laughs) to do it for that reason. Right. But it's not going to make you more money Mm -hmm. and it's not going to give you some kind of license to do something that you don't have the license to do prior to the certification. So I think it's good to be clear on what the certifications do and don't do. 
Um, that is really interesting because I actually assumed that I might be able to make more money in a private practice if I had the IAYT certification. I don't think so because nobody outside of the yoga industry really knows about it. They don't know what it means. That's true. Honestly, they need to know, like, and trust you as a person in order to hire you. They're not hiring your certification. Right. It's sort of like if you were looking for a counselor, would you really care whether they had like an LCSW or a master's in counseling or a, a PhD in psychology? Or would you be looking for a person that you think can help you? Yes, I would, I would be looking for a person that could help me. Yeah kind of regardless of their certifications. Yeah. And, and the difference here is that at least we actually do know that there's a difference between a master's in counseling and a PhD in psychology, right? right. We do know that, that that's a different level of education. Most people do not know the difference between ERYT 500 and IAYT. Like that would mean nothing to them. Right. Somebody in chronic pain who, who wants to try yoga. Can I call it therapeutic yoga? Not or is that if unethical. You, well, again, it's not about ethics here. Well, I mean, the ethics is a personal decision. If you call it therapeutic yoga, then you should not be using your yoga alliance. You can't be registered with the yoga alliance and say it's therapeutic yoga. Understood. Okay. People still do. Right. <laughs> but in theory, it's funny. I think at first they were policing that a bit. And then I think they figured out like how much work it was. And it's almost as if it's, they've stopped because I haven't heard anything more about them shutting people down, but I do. It's like they've been pretty busy with yeah. some other things. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would look for different language if it were mm -hmm. me. I would look for language that does at least, well, let me put it this way. Once you're IAYT certified, then you can use the word therapeutic under the IAYT umbrella. Right. But Yoga Alliance specifically has, they've niched. They've said, yeah. we don't certify therapeutic yoga. And IAYT has said, well, we do. Right. So come on over. If you want to use that word and have a certification that you use that word with, come on over. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Well, we got through all your questions. Anything else? Anything to follow up? <clears throat> no, this has been incredibly helpful. Um, thank you, Mado. I so appreciate your podcast and all of your offerings. I am in your workshops that wow group right now. Oh, sweet. And Yay. Just so you know, I'm behind. <laughs> but I will catch up for all the reasons we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, you have permanent access to that information. So wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's, you are just a, a goldmine, I think, for yoga teachers. And I've been listening to you for a long time before I even considered taking a teacher training. So oh, really? I appreciate everything that you do. Oh, yep. Thank you. That's yeah. awesome. That's interesting that you listened before you took teacher training. Yeah, I think I just wanted to learn more about the the other side, you know, and I've wanted to get uh, deeper into my own practice for a long time and understanding all the different facets of it, I think has been really helpful for me. That's so cool. I hadn't really even thought about that as an 
potential audience. Mm -hmm. I imagine people in teacher training and after, but um, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That's helpful. Absolutely. Well, I have, hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Are you going to be able Thank to make you. it to the uh, live Q&A this afternoon? I'm going to meet with another studio owner um, about renting space. I'm going to have to move from my current location, it looks like. So I will be there instead. Well, we will miss you. <laughs> I will catch it on the other side, though. Okay, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Well, you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are, and that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And I also want to give a huge thank you to the patrons of the podcast who contribute to the expenses on a monthly basis. If you're curious about deepening your connection to this community and becoming a patron, I hope you'll go to teachingyoga.net slash patron to find out about the different levels of contribution and all of the perks and benefits of becoming a patron. Every single month, I do an online training just for patrons of the podcast, and I also provide downloadable resources designed to help you take action on what you learn when you listen to the podcast. I'm so very, very grateful to have you as a listener and I would be incredibly delighted and honored to also have you as a patron. Keeping these podcast episodes free from outside ads is really important to me, and the patrons of the podcast are what make that possible. Once again, the link to get all the details and to sign up is teachingyoga.net slash patron. And whether or not contributing to the podcast is something you're interested or is a possibility for you in this moment, I hope that you'll remember to center your own self-care and your personal practice this week. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast.